The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Third and goal from the seven yard line. Jance with time and it's intercepted. James Morris with the pick and going the other way. Morris with Jance riding him down at midfield. Just throw the ball away. If it's not clear, throw it away and get your three points. Critical error. Just an outstanding play by James Morris. Big-time players make big-time plays in big-time moments. None bigger than that play by James Morris. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeye star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's Cy Hawk loss to Iowa State and previews the upcoming game against Northern Iowa. This program also features the weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs this year, which include regulars Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook, as well as a number of Hawkeye's beat reporters and columnists, including the Gazette's Scott Docterman, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and the Quad City Times' Steve Batterson. Also check out Brent Balbinat's Press Box Report and the Reporter's Notebook segments reviewing the ISU game and previewing UNI. Oh, and remember, next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. So, you know, if you want to, go ahead and uh, wear a Hawaiian shirt and jeans. The Iowa-Iowa State game highlights are courtesy of BTN with announcers Kevin Kugler, Chris Martin, and former Hawkeye star Chuck Long. A very good job in play-by-play and analysis. This is a familiar sight for Iowa fans lining up for a field goal after getting stymied in the red zone. Three times in their four trips in the red zone last week, they settled for field goals. High snap, and the field goal try is good from Mike Meyer, and the Iowa Hawkeyes are on the board. Entertaining start to this one. Iowa State 6, Iowa 3. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeye's Mike. This week, Marv breaks down Iowa's loss to Iowa State, and he previews Northern Iowa. Marv, a very disappointing loss to in-state rival Iowa State. Defense played well, especially getting critical turnovers and stops inside the red zone. But an offense that's hard to imagine looking much worse than it has in its first two games. Yeah, just uh, you know, relatively uh, no rhythm in the offensive game whatsoever. Uh, just no sense of identity, what they're trying to 
to uh, you know establish themselves as and and really nothing to anchor the offense right now and, and create some sort of identity as they go forward and, and they need to develop that I mean they need to be mentally tougher they need to you know make plays when the opportunities present themselves and um, you know this is the concerning part of, of playing close games which is the mo of, of this staff and and kind of what Iowa football has been the last seven eight years is you need players that make plays at the critical times and, and unfortunately for us we haven't been able to do that and Iowa State you know this year I should say but and Iowa State had some guys that made plays when they needed to. Turnovers have always seemed to be crucial in this series especially in recent history in a game where your team has two turnovers but you get four takeaways from the other team when you normally expect to win a game like that. Yeah I mean and the scary thing is you got to think of when some of those turnovers took place I mean they were on the five yard line eight yard line you know and they three points for sure if they don't turn the ball over but possibly touchdowns so I mean, it could have been a lot, a lot worse than what the the final outcome was. So, you know, with the exception of the first drive, I thought Iowa State came out and really executed well. Did a great job of spreading the, the field both vertically and, and, and uh, horizontally, mixing the run and the pass, uh, creating mismatches, and they executed extremely well and scored the touchdown. And then after that, I thought our defense really clamped down and did a pretty good job for the most. Part. Yeah, again, like it did the first week, it played better in the second half. And but like you just mentioned, if even two of those turnovers don't occur, that game would have approached a blowout status or could have very easily become that and we wouldn't be praising the defense quite as much as we have. Yeah, you could have easily had, you know, 48,000 people in the stands at six minutes to go in that game if, if Iowa State had converted on, you know, two or three of those possessions inside the red zone. But, but you know, like, like I said, our defense kept us in it, plays the way Iowa plays. I mean, that's just, we've played so many close games the last five, six, seven years that, uh, you know, and even, even as bad as we played offensively, we still had two or three opportunities late in the game to win the game. You know, we drop a fourth down play and then not intercepts the last drive. But even before that, we had a first and goal like on the five. You know, down 9-3 if we score a touchdown there, we're up and, and um, you know, we, we, we go three and out on that, you know, after that that series of, you know, first and goal in the five or six and kick the field goal. So, I mean, you know, we had three really solid chances late in the game to, to win it to win it or tie it and, and we just didn't take advantage of it. Yeah, basically the defense did not allow the Cyclones a, a touchdown in the last three quarters other than that first drive of the game, that was it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we lost the field position battle a little bit at times, but I mean, I, I thought defensively, you know, we played pretty basic too. I didn't see us blitzing a lot. I didn't see us doing a lot of, you know, uh, stuff that, that kind of plays away from what we've been in the past and and uh, I think personnel-wise they, they they improved from the first week and didn't allow any of the big plays. So And it wasn't for a lack of trying. Iowa State was taking some shots down the field. So defense, defensively we answered the bell very, very well. Just offensively we just we didn't help help the team win. Now, given the defense rotation on Saturday it's probably a good thing it was 72 and not 92 because the way the Iowa State offense was running up and down the field, that might have been a different story for the defense. 100%. I mean, that's obviously, conditioning is plays a big factor, especially in the first week, week one through three or four. And, uh, you know, the weather was great. It was a beautiful day, and, and um, we were fortunate from that standpoint. That, that uh, But, you know, I, I thought, you know, I thought the kids played hard. And they contested every square foot of the field, and, and uh, they needed to to keep us in the game. Could you see what was going on with uh, Iowa's defensive backs? It appeared they were having trouble covering Iowa State's receivers on the deep routes. I mean, in, in several cases, if Jantz wouldn't have overthrown those receivers by quite a bit, th- those guys looked wide open a lot of the time. There, there was some opportunities. I mean, they, they took, they saw something too, because you could tell that they came out a couple different times and said, you know what, we're throwing the post of this play action, and they really felt like they had it. And I think a couple times Jans wasn't factoring in the wind a little bit and was overthrowing it, like you said. Uh, but, you know, they didn't make those plays. I mean, there it, it was enough coverage there that he couldn't just, you know, chuck it down there, and, and there was, so he had to try to put the money at ball in the money so but yeah they had their opportunities they didn't
didn't they didn't convert on those either. You know, my my biggest worry to some extent is I almost wonder what the other staffs are thinking offensively because because I really felt like Iowa State after early on they they kind of gave they didn't give up on being aggressive, but they they weren't as aggressive as they had been and almost like well you know what we'll just if we have to we'll punt it back to Iowa and you know I don't know if they felt comfortable with their with their defense against our offense that they didn't really press as hard as they had earlier in the game. But it, like I said, the biggest frustrating thing is you have a chance to win and and you make mistakes that college kids could, shouldn't be making at times. I mean, you, you can forgive some things, but, you know, there's just certain times when you got to step up and make the play when your number's called and if you want to win a football game, and, and it's a big football game. Now, the linebackers group looks like it's improving very nicely. Hitchens seems to be playing better. Uh, Morris had that terrific pick on the goal line. Mm-hmm. Nice return. Yeah, and Perksy uh, is, you know, athletic guy. I mean, I really feel good about that group, and I really feel good about our front four. I think they, they get after it extremely well and do a good job of, of not allowing teams to run the ball too effectively. One thing I really like is we, we create penetration now. You know, and if teams want to run to the edge or they want to run that flow or, or, or zone read, penetration can really cause problems. And we had a lot of plays where we were hitting them in the backfield three, four yards deep. And and you see what happens to that mesh when you when you get penetration. I mean, we you know, we forced a, a fumble there. It was huge for us that James Morris got on. But penetration is a big part of uh, stopping, you know, effective run teams. And, and, and I thought our guys did a good job of that. Kirk made an interesting comment at his Tuesday press conference. He was asked if how much the switch in the offensive coordinators has impacted this slower development by the offense or the difficulties in the offense. And he said that he really thinks that has very little, if anything, to do with it, that he thought even absent a change in the offensive coordinator position, this team offensively, in terms of its development, is about what he was expecting coming into the season. You know, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, you got to look at you got to look at what you have personnel wise. I mean, Marvin McNutt's gone. You know, we, we come in with basically a running back position that lost guys to, to graduation, lost guys to, to injuries, lost guys to leaving. And so you, you're, you're kind of relying on young guys or, you know, I mean, guys that doesn't have don't have any experience at this level uh, to, to be a running back. And this it, it's tough. Dorowitz has got potential, but really hasn't, you know, had that breakout. You know, I'm going to I'm here to catch seven, eight balls a game and be an absolute force. You know, our receiving core, you know, Keenan Davis has been inconsistent at best. Uh, Martin Manley's a young guy that had some shining moments last year, but is he a go-to guy? Is he the next Marvin McNutt? We don't have that right now. We don't have a lot of playmakers uh, on this offensive group, and it's tough. I mean, it's this has become a playmaker's game. This has become a big play game. I mean, the the days of you know twelve play drives like Iowa State was able to execute against us. I mean, those those are few and far between. This game's about making big plays off of screens and tunnels and and, and those types of things, going taking shots down the field. We need to find out who our players are going to be that are going to do that for us offensively and until they step up and start doing it we're going to struggle offensively. Fedorowicz had some nice catches Saturday big target lots of speed and then Iowa State started double teaming him sometimes even triple teaming and boxing him in but that should free up some of the other receivers shouldn't that's it? I mean a, how many defenders can they have? That's exactly right and, and and you can't cover them all and if you do then you should be running the, running the football effectively if you if you have five or six guys in, in coverage then you should be running the ball effectively you know it's a team game and, and schemes are designed to, you know, if they got two on this guy, well, then we should be one-on-one here, and we got to win that battle. And I, I, I think right now, you know, from what I could tell, I mean, I thought Vandenberg was pretty effective with his throws, you know. I mean, with the exception of some drops, I mean, you know, he, I thought he was doing a decent job of putting the ball where we're supposed to be. And, and um, you know, we, like I said, the, the biggest thing for me was just there was just no rhythm in the offense whatsoever. The uh, offensive line, a little bit brighter spot Saturday. They At least Vandenberg wasn't sacked at all. It looked 
a little better on pass protection, but whether it was an issue of the line or the running backs, not very many yards on the ground. Yeah, and I don't care who the coordinator is, as long as Kirk, Kirk Ferentz is the head coach, they want to run the football, uh, and they want to establish the running game. And, and until we really develop a solid running game, you know, I, I think it's going to be difficult for us unless, you know, we don't have the ability, in my opinion, to go empty or four wides and have four guys that can just wreak havoc on secondaries. You know, I mean, I think we don't have enough, you know, athletic firepower out there to really have that be an effective offense for us. Where we are effective is when we can run, then fake it, and now we got one or two or three guys running routes against guys that are playing the run first, and now they're trying to recover, and that's when we can have some effectiveness in the passing game. And, you know, we have to run the ball effectively, and I guarantee you that that's probably one of the things that they're working on right now more than anything else is making sure that they're accounting for everybody, they're covering them up, and the backs are hitting the holes the way they need to be need to be and and um you know trying to clean things up because it's you know our schedule is just going to get tougher and tougher and tougher each and every week that they go out i'm sure you watch these offenses now with a little bit of a coach as i know that you're a coach what were you seeing in the passing game there's been a fair amount of discussion since saturday about the drops and there were eight to ten drops by iowa receivers but vandenberg had a number of issues again with accuracy and especially with touch it looked to me like it was about a 50 50 problem but what'd you see and how would you address that you know, like I said, for the most part, you know, when I see Vandenberg, I see a guy that is, is you know, he, he can make all the throws. You know, the last two series, I thought he did a great job with, with what he was doing. He hit, you know, I think Davis in the chest on a fourth down play. He hit a running back right in the chest on a play. We ran a, a little conversion rail with the running back on one of the last drives that he flipped over the linebacker and laid it in there nice for him that he was able to get down the sideline for a big gain for us. And it's it's like anything else. I mean, if you, I'm going to keep saying it, but it's a rhythm, you know, and a quarterback gets in a rhythm when he can plant his foot and he knows okay it's one two three here's my reads there's my progression and if things are out of sequence if the, if the receivers are getting jammed and, and now it's out of sequence and he's got to wait a little bit longer on the two read and he can't get to the three the three's covered by the time he gets back to it so a lot of it's it's you know it's a truly a team game and that's the one thing that that I'm not seeing I'm not seeing a lot of balls that are necessarily thrown on time you know where you see one two three balls out you know one two three four five you know hitch throw and, and and, you know, it's just going to take a little time getting everybody on the same page. Davis has talked from day one about speeding up the flow of the offense, and, and we see how quickly he gets the play calls in. We talked about that last week. And he did the same thing again this Saturday. Almost all of them were in before the 25-second mark in the play clock. They have run some no huddle. In the two drives you talked about towards the end of the game where Vandenberg looked effective and so did the whole offense, they were not only in, in a no huddle, but it was a real hurry-up no huddle. He said seems to function better in those situations it's like he it's easier for him to get into the rhythm is that an accurate statement? I, I think I think there is a lot of that I mean he's very very comfortable in the shotgun that's what he did in high school but you also got to take into account that defenses in those types of environments have a tendency to get generic they have a tendency to get conservative where they're going to not necessarily play prevent but they're not going to contest you know that five yard out route or that hitch route is as is, is tough and physical as they would you know if it was in the middle of the game so they just, they just don't want to give a big play over the top so a lot of times it allows a quarterback to get in a rhythm. But, I mean, the kind of stuff that I'm talking about is literally you should be able to close your eyes as a quarterback and, and go through your drop and know, okay, I'm throwing the ball here, you know, and it's it's just a visual spot where you know you should be looking and throwing. And then it goes to the inside curl, and then it goes to the deep post. And, and you can almost throw the ball without even looking, and that's where your receiver should be. And that's, I think, what's off right now is the mesh, it's the timing, it's it's those types.
types of things. So he has to hang on the, you know, the first read a little bit longer. Now he's waiting, looking for the second read. But now that guy's out of the window, you know. And so it's just, it's just a combination of multiple things. And and, and I'll be honest, with you, I think a lot of it is the fact that you have a, a completely different terminology. Formations are called different. You know, protections are called different. Uh, you know, the the schemes that the, the pass plays are called different. And, and you know, I mean, a perfect example is, you know, I was telling somebody this today that, you know, one play would be called, you know, trips right, Liz, 525 F post, A corner, for instance. That'd be that'd be a pass play. Well, under what, you know, another team would call it zero up, Larry, you know, 22 razor. Well, I mean, it's the same play, but it's it's just it's just called something completely different. And for, you know, a 19, 20-year-old kid who spent a year or two under the old system to get lined up, okay, zero up, well, that's trips. Okay, that's trips. Okay, okay, now I know we're lined up. Okay, 525, okay. And it, it's just the process of it. And then, gosh, God forbid you put an audible in there and you're trying to decide whether you're supposed to run a middle read or a 10-yard in or a conversion based on the coverage. It's tough for kids, you know, and I think it's just, it's going to be a growing process over the next, uh, you know, three to four, five, six more weeks. And, you know, teams that transition coordinators or coaches from that standpoint are going to struggle with those types of things. As a coach, would you try to do anything different with the offense or would you, is it just exactly what you said? There's no magic and just keep practicing it? And I think I think great coaches play your strengths and hide your weaknesses. And ultimately, you have to come in and figure out exactly what your strengths are and you have to find ways to pl- to, to utilize those strengths and find packages and, and plays that are going to help you do that. You know, and if Fedorowicz has a certain skill set that is better than anybody else, I'm going to ask Fedorowicz to do those five things over and over and over again. Now I'm going to work on his weaknesses and try to hide those up and cover those up and make them better. But ultimately, I'm going to play to his strengths and I'm going to find plays ways that we can execute and, and make plays with those. And I, I think that's what they're working on. You know, and then, you know, a lot of times it's, the play should work. On paper, it should work. It's just a matter of this guy's got to win or this guy's got to win. And right now, I don't know if those two guys are winning. After the Big Ten update, Marv talks Iowa's special teams and the UNI game. Second and goal from the three-yard line. Bouncing to the outside. Can Johnson get the corner? He cannot. The ball pops out, and it's covered up by Iowa. Dominic Alvis recovers the fumble, which hugged the sideline and stayed in bounds. Iowa gets the football back. A 73-yard drive ends with nothing. Donatell and Hyde get to the ball carrier. Alvis covers it up, and the Hawkeyes dodge a big threat there. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day.
In this week's Big Ten update, going into week three of the football season, the Big Ten is bruised and a bit battered after last weekend's results. Usually the Big Ten waits until it's bowl games to do this, but the on-field results last weekend in the biggest games were stunningly bad, and the conference appropriately took a big hit in the national polls. At this point, only three Big Ten teams are ranked in AP's top 25, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan, while Wisconsin and Nebraska are barely hanging in the top 25 in the USA Today coaches poll. And of course, the Buckeyes are not ranked in the latter because of their sanctions. Big Ten teams lost six out of seven games to BCS schools. Wisconsin and Nebraska were probably the biggest embarrassments, losing to unranked and theoretically overmatched Oregon State and UCLA, respectively. The Cornhuskers, in particular, were thoroughly whipped in every phase of the game. Not far behind were Iowa's loss at home to Iowa State and Illinois' beatdown at Arizona State. Penn State went 0-2 on the season with its loss at Virginia, and Purdue let Notre Dame escape with a last-minute victory in South Bend. Northwestern is the only conference school that is 2-0 against BCS teams, and both of those games were close. Michigan survived a close game, hosting Air Force one week after it got demolished by Alabama. So how's all that working for you? This weekend features at least three more games, assuming no upset losses to FCS schools. Are you listening, Hawkeyes, Gophers, and Hoosiers? Three more games It could be tough for conference teams. Boston College travels to Evanston, Ohio State hosts California, and of course the big one in East Lansing, Michigan State takes on Notre Dame, and in that game, the megaphone trophy is at stake. Let's look at some of the so-called highlights from last week's losses. Wisconsin was only able to rush for 35 yards on 23 attempts versus Oregon State, and remember, this followed a relatively inept performance at home against Northern Iowa in Week 1. Following the Oregon State game, head coach Brett Bielma fired his brand new offensive line coach just two games into the season and replaced him with the Badgers' offensive quality control assistant. Nebraska surrendered 653 total yards, 344 of those on the ground at UCLA, and its offense only gained 106 total yards and six first downs in the second half. If Arizona State hadn't fumbled twice inside the Illini's 10-yard line, that game would likely have been far worse than in the final 45-14 score. Even worse, apparently Illini defensive players couldn't figure out what plays were being signaled into them from their sideline, and in several instances, defensive players ended up playing at least two different defensive sets. Penn State missed four field goals and an extra point in Charlottesville, and one of those missed field goals was in the last second. And then there's Iowa, losing at home to the Cyclones, which also ensured that the trophy case in Iowa City remains empty for the time being. The team ran for only 68 yards and 28 rushes, receivers dropped at least eight passes, and the team only converted on five of 17 third downs. And it gets worse, as we all know, the Hawkeyes have scored only one touchdown in the first two games. The ISU game was also the first in which a Kirk Ferentz coach team failed to score a touchdown in Kinnick Stadium. And being held to single digits in a game in Iowa City, well, that's only the second time that's happened since 2001. It was also the first loss under Ferentz when the Hawks held their opponents to under 10 points. At least the defense played reasonably well for the Hawkeyes, and it also 
also forced four ISU turnovers. Plus, I think most fans seem to like the throwback uniforms Iowa wore to honor the 1921 and 22 teams. So there you have it, Iowa fans. You can at least take some solace in the conference's overall miserable performance last Saturday and perhaps hold out some meager hope that if your team can average more than one touchdown a game, it might have a fighting chance to win some games in conference. You people are in the wrong on this one! Still in the wrong! This is egregious! Do you hear me? Egregious! Next, Marv Cook looks at the Hawkeyes' special teams play and previews UNI. Special teams play the first couple of weeks been pretty good, probably better than it has the last few years. But one thing that doesn't seem to be clicking yet, other than Garmin had one nice return on a kickoff uh, Saturday, is they're not getting really anything out of, certainly out of the punt returns yet, and not very much out of the kickoff returns. Yeah, there's no play, there's no plays that, think about the, the yards. Field, field advantage. Think about the distance that the ball is moving on punts and kickoffs, and there's no bigger way to take advantage of that or gain field position but by having phenomenal return games and, and having phenomenal return guys that can make huge plays. I mean, nothing, you know, as much as we talk about how you have 11 or 12 games and you should be able to get up for three hours 11 times a season, you know, when all off season you're preparing for it, it's, it's, it still amazes me to this day how you can be so flat at one point and all of a sudden a big play happens. Now the crowd's into it, and now all of a sudden everybody's playing a little bit harder and running the football a little bit harder, and, and the whole complexion of the game changes. And those types of plays, return plays, are catalysts that could ultimately lead, you know, 70,000 Kinnick Stadium faithful to go nuts and get the team involved and then ultimately get, get them steamrolling. And that's, you know, obviously I think that is an area that they, they need to upgrade. UNI comes in, another in-state rival. Iowa fans probably weren't ready to jump off the ledge after last Saturday's game, but if Iowa suffers a similar fate against Northern Iowa this Saturday, they may be getting closer to that point. Well, I mean, I, you know, if you take I mean, if you take away a third and nine run by the running back last week against Northern Illinois, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it'd be pretty tough times right now. But, you know, that's the reason you play the games. And, and ultimately, they're one and one. They have a chance to go two and one. Uh, they need to be very, very careful. You and I is a very talented football team. I honestly believe you're going to have 11 guys on defense and 11 guys on offense at UNI, that when they line up and they look at film, they're going to honestly tell them, I don't know if that guy's better than what we saw two weeks ago. And if he isn't, we're going to, it's going to be a game. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so they're not going to be intimidated coming into Kinnick Stadium. I mean, Kinnick Stadium is in a great environment for the Hawks, great home field advantage, and give us an advantage from that standpoint. But the players, as I said, have to take ownership at Iowa and go out and say, you know what, we're going to win this game. I'm going to do what I need to do to win this game. And if you get 11 guys to do that every single snap, they should be effective and they should should have a lot of success but you know you and I will not be intimidated you and I will believe that they can win if they go out and play well and Iowa better take care of business because you know they are a good football team I there's probably 20 25 guys on that roster that if you were to set up and have tryouts and said okay give me the best 80 on the field you and I would have guys that would be on that field and a lot of those guys wanted to be Hawkeyes didn't get the opportunity so they went to you and I and now that they have a chance to play against the Hawks I'm sure they got a lot to prove. Now Mark Morehouse asked Kirk an interesting question at the press conference this week too, which is related to the fact that UNI is apparently on the verge of, or highly considering jumping up to the FBS level with the full load of scholarships and everything else. And Mark asked, 
ask Kirk about how that might impact recruiting in-state overall, and especially the ability that Iowa's had the last few years, recruiting maybe when they've lost another recruit the last couple of days before signing, and they've snagged one of you and I as previously you know, verbal commitments. What's your sense of that? I mean, you coach Regina. I don't know how much you interact. You have some great teams. How much you interact with the coaching staffs of either one of those programs. But what, what do you think would be the result of that, of you and I jumping up? Well, I, I think if they did, you would see you'd see even more talent. I mean, kids want to play at the highest level. You know, they want to be challenged. They want to be, you know, compete. And, you know, and if you and I was able to put together that package and, and get, you know, get start playing the University of Buffalo's and some of the Mac schools, you know, one, they would draw better and get bigger crowds. Two, they'd get better athletes and they would be even more competitive than they already are. It's a great environment for football. I mean, the Unidome is a home field advantage in itself, in itself and they would be very, very competitive. And kids, you know, it's a nice campus. I mean, it's you walk around that campus, it's a nice facility. They've got great indoor facilities and uh, they would be a formidable, you know, deal. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. If I'm, a, if I'm a high school guy, I still want to go to Iowa. I mean, you know, even Iowa State with, you know, the Big 12, Big uh, Big 10 and the Big Big 12. But, uh, you know, just from the atmosphere standpoint, the, the, the schedule of those two programs and Kinnick Stadium on Saturday, you can't beat it. I mean, it's just, there's nothing like it. So they'll still have a huge advantage from a recruiting standpoint. What do you expect to see Saturday? What are your keys, both for Iowa and you and I, for that matter? You know, Iowa needs to run the football. They've got to be the bully on the football field. I mean, they, they've got to start imposing their will a little bit more and being the more physical team if, if they want to have success. I mean, you cannot rely on converting third and eights, third and sevens, fourth and fours all day long. I mean, you have to move the ball on the, on the ground for us to be effective. And then defensively, you and I, what they're going to try to do is spread you out. And if you spread out with them, they're going to try to run it. If you don't spread out with them, you stay base. They're going to try to find out where the mismatches are. They're going to try to find out their slot receiver can beat that linebacker. And they're going to have a lot of isolation stuff. And then it gets back to what we're talking about. Who's going to win that battle? You know, and if they got a shifty guy that can beat that linebacker and the quarterback can throw the ball on time and, and, and move the chains, then I was going to have problems. But if we can match up, if we can put pressure on the quarterback and not give him an easy throw, then Iowa wins that battle. So it's going to be you and I's talent. I mean, these coaches have been together a long time. This offensive coach, the coordinator, quarterback coach, Verduzco, is a brilliant man, a brilliant man, and uh, knows how to attack defenses. And, and I think they're getting the comfort level with they have enough athletes that they feel like they can line up and play. You know, so Iowa needs to make sure that they're ready to go and, and uh, like I said, play physical and play fast. And, and, and then ultimately, you have to make plays when they present themselves to you. I mean, that's the bottom line is players need to make plays to win football games. Coaches can't do that. And and they need to find out if that's what they're going to do or not. If Iowa's offense struggles a bit at the outset Saturday and you start getting the issues of maybe Vandenberg in particular pressing a little more or the offensive team group as a whole having doubt creep in more and more, I mean, how how would that play itself out? How important is it for them to get a hot start Saturday? I guess well, it's a better I, way no, to I, ask I, the question. I, I would say normally it is important for, for them, a young, you know, younger team, but ultimately a lot of these guys have been, you know, they played against Pitt last year. Martin Manley played against Pitt. Fedorowicz played against, you know, Vandenberg played against Pitt. So if we were to fall behind 21 points, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the, uh, you know, would become the, uh, a terrible thing for us necessarily, but but you don't want to fall behind to a good team and that's what you and I is. And, and you and I, they play at one speed and it's up-tempo, it's athletic and, you know, unlike a lot of teams, I think that if they got you down 14 to three or something, I don't think that they'll change their philosophy. I still think they're going to keep attacking you and trying 
trying to put more points on the board. So, um, you know, I think Iowa's got to make sure that they, uh, you know, just come out and execute, play well. And, and, and it, you know, and as I truly said this, football is a game about running the football. If you can run the football, it helps up everything else you got. You win field position game, you win time of possession, you, you, your play action game works. It, it all is based off of running the football effectively. That's At least that's what Iowa's MO has always been. You know, some programs want to throw it to run at Northwestern. You know, I think you and I is a little bit that way. If Iowa's going to have success, in my opinion, they have to be able to run the football effectively. You grew up in Iowa. Mm-hmm. You played in this series, in the Iowa, Iowa State series. How hard is it really for an in-state kid to lose that game to me it'd be devastating I mean it would not devastating but it would be I'd be miserable I'd be miserable for the whole year I mean I, I truly would uh, it would affect me and in my preparation and everything else I mean I mean I would not want to you don't want to lose the in-state battles I mean and I didn't think from the coach's side we were trying to win the recruiting battles or, or like that but it was just you know kind of I mean there's a sense of bragging rights you know so in, in my opinion and that's one of the things we talk about is ownership you know you got sometimes the players got to step up and take ownership of what's going on and, and you kind of find out who the true leaders are when you when you're up against it a little bit and I'm not saying I was up against it right now but you know if they struggle Saturday there may come a time late in the third quarter when they're gonna have to look up and figure out if they're gonna be a great team or a good team or an average team or you know even a poor team I mean they, they can they in my opinion the pendulum can swing the full spectrum so uh, we'll see what happens you have a score in mind you know I, at the end of the day I still think I was you know athletically should be able to make enough plays and you know I would have to say probably 24-17 I mean the Hawks I mean a close game a, a good game and as long as we can you know make two or three more plays than you and I makes we'll have a good chance you ever have that feeling you were just born for greatness and red zone troubles again plague the Iowa Hawkeyes there's a familiar theme last week in the win over Northern Illinois as the field goal try a little more than an extra point is good from Mike Meyer and with 14.06 to play Iowa a little bit closer but a little bit of momentum on the side of the Cyclones their players running off the field jumping their fans a little bit excited as well after that defensive hold down deep Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeyes stories features and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. And listen to Brent Balbinat on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinat and Camp show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM AM 1600, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. That broadcast school has really paid off. Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. 
Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week. And as always, special thanks to Marv Cook. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.